Having a Gas is the podcast that talks to the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for dancing to, for cooking to, for f***ing to, and more. Today I'm having a gas with Björn Bremer, the CEO of Ogilvy's Germany operation. Björn has had a momentous career going from working as an account man in London and New York to a creative in Amsterdam to climbing the ladder at Ogilvy to become the chief executive officer. Uh, is it Ogilvy Berlin or Ogilvy Germany? It's the, uh, actually it's the whole Ogilvy group in Germany. Oh, so it's Frankfurt, yes, Frankfurt, Berlin, Düsseldorf and Hamburg. So I imagine that keeps you busy most hours of the day. Uh, it does. Uh, it, it, it actually does. Thank God there are no time differences between those individual offices. And uh, yeah, uh, if, uh, especially now in lockdown, if one office is not keeping me busy, then my kids are keeping me busy. That's pretty much my entire life right now. Right. So um, obviously for the benefit of the tape, and this will be going out, I think probably seven or eight weeks in the future. So right now it is May 2021 and things in the UK are uh, looking a bit different to how they are in Germany. What, what's, what's it like there at the moment? What's happened and what's happening? Well, uh, we were actually very slow when it came to the vaccines uh, because we did it together with the EU. I, we, we still believe it was the... Uh, the best Brexit campaign ever that because of Brexit, you did that a lot faster than we did on the continent. Uh, but it's picking up um, uh, restaurants out there seating are going to hopefully open this weekend. At least that's the plan. Um, people start to travel again for business, obviously all wearing masks and, uh, you know, with proper distances and stuff like that. Um, funny enough, the economy has started to pick up about four or five months ago. They haven't really worried about the lockdown any longer. So it's a bit, I mean, there are big winners and big losers, but overall the economy is growing, which is great. It's just that people are really bored. They, you know, they don't want to stay at home any longer. They just want to get out, meet people. And it's like, oh, what, another week or another week. Um, so, but uh, I guess overall people are quite optimistic. Yeah, I, I, I hope that the way things are going over here is a good, um, you know, prelude for the way things are going to happen on the continent. Again, it is, it's regrettable that we have this inequitable um, rollout of vaccines. And, and I, I absolutely uh, sympathize with what you said from, from day one uh, of this year, basically. It did appear to be the case that um, the the Conservative Party of Great Britain had yeah. a, a gift given to them of the opportunity to roll out this vaccine. And, you know, it does, it is with, um, it's not easy to see that, that not everyone has that, that same opportunity. So, but what, what, what's, uh, what's, what are the projections for this year? When do you expect the vaccines to be rolling out more uh, liberally? Well, I mean, I guess we have about 10% of the entire population now uh, fully vaccinated and about one third had their first job. Uh, and by the end of the summer, around August, September, you know, we, we talk about immune heredity or uh, herd immunity, I guess is the correct word, sorry. Yeah. And, um, but you know, uh, we also work for German Rail and they predict that at least 
till the beginning of next year, we will wear masks when we travel. Uh, you know, masks will stay for a lot longer than uh, than than most other things. Yes, but. Um, I don't know. Let's hope for the best. August, September is where we go back to a kind of a normal. Yeah. And with that in mind, let's maybe talk about how um, how last year looked from your perspective, from the perspective of someone running a group, uh, running an agency group. And I suppose, you know, g give me the, the timeline of um, how things felt and what Ogilvy Germany was doing to react to what was going on from sort of February onwards? I guess uh, uh, January, February, like most people in the Western world, we're like, ah, more people are killed by sharks than what is this corona? And all of a sudden, boom, it was there, uh, uh, end of March. And then we had a, the first lockdown was, I think, the 27th of March. And it was a bit of, I guess you call the economy and most business, they were numb. They didn't know how to do what to do. They're like, how long is this going to last? Not last. I mean, there were all these jokes. This will last a year and everybody got like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not in a million years. And then people automatically, what do you do when you're numb? They're like, oh, let's cut budgets. Uh, let's, let's freeze. Let's hold on. A bit like an oystrich in a... African safari, you put your head in the sand and then you just wait for the storm to calm. And about two weeks later, everybody's like, well, the storm isn't really going to go away so quickly, um, unfortunately. And then there was, a, let's say, four or five weeks of increased panic. And uh, thank God we have a, cons a very strong consulting business. And they picked a lot of work up. It's like, oh, what's the new normal? How do we get out of this? How do we go? How do we do more e-commerce? How do we get away from being so re reliant on restaurants, bars uh, for like Coca-Cola or a big brewery that we're running? Um, and, and, you know, how do we do that with the home office? You know, all these agreements. And then I think there was a... During last summer, there was a bit of a, let's call it resignation period, where it's like, oh, this is, is going to last a lot longer. You know, uh, people are losing jobs. Then we had something um, in Germany, which was called Kurzarbeit, which once once translates into short work. So what you were able to do is tell your, well, <coughs> let your staff work less, and pay them for that less time and the the remaining or the missing salary was paid to uh, the employee from the government. Mm -hmm. So if somebody only worked half time, we would have to pay them half time and the other half would have been paid by the government. Obviously that tops out at a, you know, a decent salary. I mean, if you're into like a million dollars, they don't pay you, but you know, uh, I guess most uh, you know, most people that we have, we cover it, uh, which then led to a phase where a lot of people had people not really working, uh, but they were, you know, financially covered. And then in early fall, or sorry, autumn, uh, everything changed again to 
okay, it doesn't matter if this stays or not stays. Let's go back to business, right? Let's try to get uh, uh, consumed back up, you know, get consumers confident again. We did a lot of stuff about behavioral signs, you know, feel comfortable about your salary so you can uh, fetch out large amounts of money. You know, we did a lot of, it's actually safe to travel if you stick to this stuff. Um, you know, we changed a lot of campaigns. Uh, and and then it, it started, at least from a work perspective, around November, it started to be very normal again. Okay, obviously there were, uh, I don't know, previously you would present, okay, here are three different ideas on the same brief. In December, November, you would present, okay, this is the route if Corona A happens. This is the idea if Corona B happens. This is the idea if Corona C happens. So rather than three different things on the same brief, you would adjust to what's happening. And, uh, and now we're in this period where it's just, it just drags on too long. The economy doesn't really care. They just, you know, they want to go, they want to produce, they want to export. Uh, you know, obviously being a huge export market, it really helped that China uh, at least pretends to be back to very normal <laughs> already. Yeah. So, uh, and also uh, uh, the US, um, yeah. obviously the, uh, the US election helped the export market because, you know, when Biden was elected, everybody's like, you know, this is a great future. Now let's, you know, we love America again. Um, so, uh, you know, um, and that's, uh, I think, the current state. And now everybody's just like, just tell me when it's over and I can go back to normal. Yeah, wake me up when Corona ends. It's uh, yes. really str interesting to hear that you said that um, the, uh, the export market got excited again at the election of President Biden. What was, what was the, uh, the mood of things during the Trump administration and, wh and why was it different? <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's really hard to put into, into numbers, but obviously there was the whole America first thing. Yeah. Uh, originally it was directed versus China, but we, you know, our car industry and a lot of our industry felt it too. Like, really do we need this i think we're in the 21st century uh we don't need this kind of you know let's call it almost racist patriotism uh any longer uh, nobody needs this and uh also i guess the continent well or europe in general is very much sort of climate focused and you know sustainable and stuff like that and all of a sudden you had this america's like Coal what do you mean electric again. cars? What, you know, what do you mean no plastic? You know, it, it felt like a bit they were disconnected to the rest of the world. Yes. Yeah, it did, it did feel like um, uh, it, that you can say that Tr President Trump had a point, which was that members of the, the working class had been perhaps uh, uh, what less able to compete given certain you know uh, things yeah. that happen in the global economy but the way to solve that is not to return to how things were you can't go back you can only go forward yeah so that's yeah. really interesting in the UK a lot of people I know hold Germany up as the kind of example of a, of a Western uh, uh, nation to aspire to be like so I'm always interested in finding out what uh, you know what the mood is actually like from your perspective as opposed to us speculating as to what things are like there and yeah. um, i was interested in what you were saying about instead of preparing 
what would you say, multiple briefs for one client. You actually prepared one brief for multiple uh, trans transformations in the pandemic. What would that actually look like? I'm trying to picture what, what, what a presentation might entail. Well, you know, it was based on, let's call it scenarios, okay? So, uh, especially uh, uh, all the businesses or brands that were really connected to the lockdown, okay? So, uh, and, and General Rail being owned by the government as well, if Merkel says, stay at home, it's really hard to say, oh, t jump on a train, okay? So, you had to really reflect. Uh, the uh, Merkel's claim to fame or a decision of the week. And then it was basically, well, if they say a little bit travel is fine, then we go a little bit travel is fine. And by the way, it's really safe. If they go, oh, uh, you know, especially during Christmas, we'll have a hard lockdown just before Christmas so everybody can go during Christmas. We're like, okay, Christmas is the time when you can actually travel. Um, and then, uh, you know, especially we looked at a lot at the UK just before Christmas and, you know, the, the mutants and everything was locked down. We were like, uh, what do we do if there's a real, real lockdown? So we had prepared some kind of, because obviously media was booked. Uh, we had sort of a, oh, thank you for this year coping with everything. Let's be optimistic in the future. So it was, let's travel a little bit. Let's travel when we're allowed to travel. And worst case scenarios, oh, you did a fantastic job during the pandemic and next year will be better uh, sort of executions. And so all of those executions require a, a pretty substantial amount of detail in all of them. So I imagine this squeezed the resource you've got available at Ogilvy uh, preparing for different outcomes. Yes, well, we did. We were lucky. Uh, we stopped uh, what was called Kurzarbeit, I think, at the end of November. So everybody was back on deck, basically, uh, November, December. Uh, not every agency or company was as fortunate as we were. Uh, we had, a, thank God, we have a very balanced portfolio, so we could sort of move people around. <clears throat> but yeah, it was. Um, it was just. Very well, it certainly still is a little different because usually you're like, okay, what is the best thing you can do at this moment for this brief, for this challenge? And right now it's like, okay, this is the best we can do if this happens. This is the best we can do if that happens. Uh, and, and as you said, you know, the work had to be really detailed and, you know, pushed quite far forward uh, and not like in. Yeah, you know, back in the days, you would like, oh, oh, this is not good, let's forget about this. Or this is not good, let's forget about this and just focus on this. Because really, a lot of things changed last minute. Everything had to be on a very good level. So depending on what you had to pick, it was actually good and not just decent, I guess. Yeah. So that's, well, that's a little bit about where we are. Why don't we, why don't we return to this? Uh, having explored uh, a little bit more about you, Bjorn, and how you came to be the uh, the chief exec of Ogilvy uh, Ogilvy Group Germany, so what's what was your entry into advertising, and why did it why did it appeal to you? <laughs> oh God! Now let's go back to last century, literally. <laughs> okay.
Um, uh, I, I, was, I was studying business uh, with uh, focusing on math and statistics. Okay. They, but the only reason why I did that was because that was the closest college to skiable mountains in Germany. So I didn't pick my degree or whatever or course based on what I like, but what was close to the mountains to go skiing and snowboarding. So uh, I picked that. I started studying uh, as, you know, everybody does. And then you have to do internships like as you do in, in college. Uh, and and they, were, they were a must. You had to do a six-month internship. And I applied at a bunch of consultancies and agencies. And uh, for no explainable reason, Gray picked me. That was way before um, uh, uh, Martin Sorrell and WPP. It was a long time ago. So I did an internship <coughs> and, well, you know how those internships go. It was, it was a good internship and a bad internship. The first two weeks, it was the old days. They, there, were big there was a room full of files and for some reason they had to duplicate that room. So all we did was literally open files, copy them all day, fold them back up and you know it's what you think you should do as an intern right it was really lame work yeah and the guy came up to me after like six days or seven working days and said oh you're really reliable i think we should upgrade you to color copies next week here you go <laughs> and he literally meant it like okay black and white is cheap so if you fuck up doesn't matter if you do color copy you're the good best copier of the team i'm like okay Thank God I'm studying business. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it, it, uh, it, it became better and better. And I worked on P&G, which is probably one of the best schools you can actually get. And uh, so I finished this, uh, went back to skiing, did some more skiing, pretended to do some more studying. And then I had to do my next uh, internship. Uh, so I called this guy up and I had this crazy idea about uh, I want to move to Asia you know, see a little bit of the world. And uh, he had moved to the same guy of the color copies. He had moved to London by now. And he said, well, I call you back in two weeks. And I'm like, you know, he's never going to call back. Two weeks later on the dot, he calls me back, very British, half an hour of explanation about why Asia doesn't work and the economy is doing bad. And I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. You don't have an internship for me. And he said, but why don't you come to London? I'm like, okay. When? Yeah. He's like, Monday. It was Thursday or Wednesday. I don't remember. I'm like, okay, so are you going to pay for an internship? You know, working, you know, where is that? He's like, no, not an internship. I give you a proper job. Just start on Monday. And I'm like, seriously? And he's like, yeah, seriously. And I'm like, okay. Okay, I've never been to London before, right? And I'm like, okay, let's just do it. I was really young, and uh, and so I called my parents and said, oh, okay, I'm gonna move to London now to to work. And my mom, obviously, you know how moms are—they freak. You can't just stop studying; it's impossible. You need to finish. You need to get another degree. And my dad was pretty cool. He's like, well, 
you know, a job is a job. Why didn't you start? Yeah. There you go. So over the weekend, I found a flight. I moved to London, lived in a student's home because obviously I was still young enough. Uh, it was cheap. And I started working in advertising and, uh, as an account person. Uh, a little bit in London, then the account moved to New York. And, uh, you know, nice London people being nice London people, they're like, oh, we got really bad news for you. And I'm like, okay, now I get sacked because I knew the account was moving to New York. They're like, ah, oh, the account is moving to New York, but... Um, the client asked you to join, you know, on the other side of the pond. I know it's really hard and, you know, it's New York. And I was sitting there going inside. I'm like, are you just asking me to move to New York? And that's a bad thing. I was like, yeah. going, internally, I was like jumping M and I'm like, not like, be calm, just pretend it's not really good. So you, maybe they help you with apartments and stuff. So they're like, ah, oh, I know it's a big ask, but would you not mind? We help you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. If you say so, I moved to New York. <laughs> uh, internally, jumping obviously upside down. Perfect. Uh, so I worked in New York. Uh, then I moved to, uh, after a couple of years, I just had enough of the US. Uh, moved to Wyden Kennedy in, uh, in Amsterdam, uh, which was great. Um, getting back home, you know, Wyden was an awesome place to work. Uh, especially work because you don't do anything else there uh, that well, does it, the it keeps you very very busy yes well we called it weekend in kennedy very um, good. and uh but it's like real madrid you know if if you're successful there you are successful uh, as simple as that and that's where i decided being account guy is not really cool i want to be creative and there was a guy called jeff Kling. And we had the tennis, he was a creative director or ECD. And he said, well, we're going to play tennis this afternoon. And if you lose, you make the jump. I'm like, okay. So I lost. Uh, started becoming a writer. Uh, moved then back to Berlin to work on VW. I was really lucky. And then started my creative career. Became the creative director. Uh, ran MNC Saatchi Berlin for a long time as a CCO. Then Ogilvy hired me. I started as a CCO at Ogilvy Frankfurt and ran the whole country. And eventually, you know, we had to, Ogilvy Germany had to find a new CEO. And we were all sitting in one room. And somebody from London said, Well, so who's going to be the new CEO? Because we can't hire somebody from outside. And everybody looked around the room and said, oh, some people say, oh, Bjorn should do it. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So, <laughs> so your career has been punctuated by people suggesting that you do uh, enviable things. And uh, it's a lot of it sounds like it was a case of, what, is this really happening? Okay, I guess I'll do it. Y yes. Uh, it, it, it sounds, I mean, I'm very grateful. Right, and uh, obviously, all these people had uh, put a lot of trust in me, and think I can do run the show and do the show. Um, but yes, there wasn't a lot. Like, to be honest, everywhere you know, sometimes in your career you don't feel happy. You apply somewhere else. You hear about the job opening. Da da da. da. None of this has ever worked out for me. 
literally nowhere where I applied regularly, I got the job. Uh, but all the every time I was sort of bouncing back and from, you know, to help me, you know, and somebody knew somebody and then said, oh, what about him? You know, what about this? And that's how it happened, I guess. And so obviously with uh, in the world of advertising, it tends to be, uh, and maybe things are changing now, but it tends to be the case that advertising is made up of the trivectorate between creative accounts and strategy and so it sounds like when they were thinking about who's going to be the ceo it, ha- it helps that you had been on creative and accounts and had a thorough knowledge of both those things yeah. but, but uh, what about strategy what role does that play for you and and you know uh, how do you have any experience on that side of things well i, I mean i never worked as a planner uh and uh, but you know being the account person or being the creative you have to know at least if a strategy is good or not good you know good people to surround you with um we got some <coughs> excuse me fantastic planners right now in germany that i co- trust completely and i work well with um i have the utmost respect for them but personally uh you know there, you know, Bill Belichick. I don't know. He's a very famous American football coach from the New England Patriots, yeah. and he has this. And obviously, they're very successful. They're kind of the Liverpool of American football. Yeah. And his his thing is um, do your job, right? And I I like this rule. You know, if you're the kicker, you're the kicker. If you're the goalkeeper, you're the goalkeeper. If you're the winger, you're the winger. You know, everybody does his job, mm-hmm. and. Um, I actually think that teamwork is not about everybody doing the same thing, mm-hmm. but individual people doing their stuff, and together they obviously are better. <coughs> and uh, that's you know uh, I don't you know I don't want to be a planner. There are people that are really good at it, so trust them and you know work with them. I guess. And is that ever something you've had to straighten out when you've been working with teams where, because I also, I do sympathize with the rule of, you know, do do the role that was assigned to you, that's your bit. And not, not even if in your opinion, it's not the place where you, your talents would be best placed, you can still maximize on the position you're in. And, you know, often, um, not often, but I wonder if you know you ever get the, you know, the issue of you've got the creatives trying to be account people as well by having relationships, and you've got the account people trying to say, "Have you thought about this as a as a, as, a, as an idea for a the copy?" Uh, how, what do you do when people are trying to bleed into each other's roles like that? Well, <clears throat> obviously, having worked in so many different roles, it's easy for me to go back up, uh, no, back off, right? Um, and funny enough. I think the biggest, or most often, the people you have to tell to back off are the creative directors. I don't know what it is. They still believe the world circles around them, right? Um, You tell them, you're the creative director. You're not supposed to write the copy. You're not supposed to do the layout. You know, let your teams do it, right? Uh, The same with... There is a planner who writes the brief. You can disagree with the brief, you can argue, but don't write it yourself. Um, it's, you know, it's, I mean, especially until I think mid 2000, they were still hailed like, oh, the creative director, you know, the big office at the end of the corridor. The Don Draper. The Don Draper, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I think 
some of the creative directors I worked with uh, didn't have that uh, elegy. Like Barbara Noakes is one that I worked with very early on, and she was really uh, she would listen to everybody and give everybody his space, uh, which was awesome. But I've certainly met, without naming names, creative directors in my career that I really like. Oh, it's all me, 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 me. And you sometimes meet them and you go like, Jesus, did anyone in your agency ever work? Because it seems like you did everything. Are you actually yeah. writing the invoices too and sending them to the client and make sure you check the account if they actually paid? It's like, I did this, I wrote this, I talked to the director, da, 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 you know. Gosh, you know, get a lie. Yeah, it's like if you're if you're making a movie, if you're the director, you are not also the DP, and you're not also the composer, and you're not the editor. You have people you need for all these things. And I suppose is that the analogy for the creative director? You're supposed to be guiding the team towards the goal, uh, as opposed to trying to score it yourself. Yes, and even you know, uh, you know, when you're the director, you're not the actor. And sometimes the actor thinks this is better, or sometimes your DP thinks this is better. Just listen, you know, you don't have to have the answer for, for everything, basically. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's, so that, that, that's two things that you often see is one, what the, that's, that, that's in, to put it in a cliched way, that's the ego trying to take control of the situation, right? It's like, I need to be the thing that ultimately has the credit for all this. So, yeah. There's that, there's trying to do too much. But then another issue, which I sometimes see is people trying to find the answer too quickly. So, you know, you're in a room full of people and you can tell there's this sense of whoever, whoever, whoever nails the brief first wins. And it's like, that's going to get in the way of nailing the brief. Yeah, the, the, this is certainly another phenomenon. Um, and truth be told, sometimes it helps if somebody starts being the captain and tells, okay, we're going to Paris, okay? This is where we're going, right? Uh, everybody get on board, we're going to go to Paris, which helps because it means you don't have that one in Madrid and one in Milan and two people in Cardiff and, I don't know, one in Stockholm. So there's a clear direction in, because uh, there's nothing worse than when there's a big brief or a big pitch or a project coming in, all of a sudden you're like, more than a dozen people in a room or a virtual room and everybody has an opinion where this issue going and it's green no it's black it's red no it's a radio commercial so we don't need any color it's sort of like ah it, it does help if somebody steps up doesn't matter who it is but it's like okay we're all gonna go to i don't know let's start with france okay so and then we at least and all end up in the same uh, country and then we decide if we're gonna go to Bordeaux or Paris, but at least let's all go to France first um, Yeah, but but sometimes people go like oh, it needs to be The Champs-Élysées in Paris, right? And it's yes. too much of a direction, you know, do you have to find the right balance between? You know, this is the rough direction the sort of the direction and then no, oh, this is the pinpoint where we have to end up so so yeah, so what's what's the way of uh, encouraging the team at the beginning of that process to all at least agree on the rough area? Is that what your analogy was uh, aiming at saying, you know, so, someone at least needs to be established as captain. It's like, we could go anywhere, 
but we're going to appoint one person to decide where we go because you ultimately have to simplify it somehow. And one way of doing that might be just to nominate someone to lead the project. I'm a big believer in uh, informal structures, uh, which means obviously some person has a title that means he, the others should report into him and he should make this decision. But it doesn't really work in real life. If you put the group together, I don't know, there are leaders and there are not so much, so many. There are quiet people and you you got to find that person and make sure that this person uh, actually picks up the bait and, and runs with it and pulls everyone behind it. Uh, and in an ideal world, this person, there's somebody is the direction, and then usually somebody else who's the engine, who like picks up the energy and you know makes sure that people are actually running and doing stuff. Uh, for I don't know why, but they don't seem to be tend to be the same person. There's one that's the thinker, and one there's the driver and the engine. Um, and it has nothing to do with gender or skin color or everything or job title. I think you always have to identify those two people and then you're usually pretty off to a pretty good start. Yeah, so identify the direction and the engine, which way we're going and who's the person going to be to put the energy into it. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's, and that's a really good way of thinking about it because it often it it can often be the case that some engines want to be the director and some directors want to be the engine and that's back to your analogy with the new england patriots it's like yeah. know what your strengths are and capitalize on them and know what everyone else's are and encourage them yeah that's yeah but so obviously this is while we're in the process of data mining a chief executive for um, the optimal ways to run a business, let's also talk about what your uh, typical day looks like. What's the average day, first of all, in lockdown, and second of all, in 2019, before lockdown, two, two versions of what the typical day is like for Björn Bremer. Uh, yeah, well, uh, one of my kids wakes me up too early, uh, and then... I know it's a bad thing, but I, gotta, I tend to look at my cell phone, which is also my alarm clock if things go wrong. And then there are usually a bunch of WhatsApps and emails, and I just react, uh, to be honest. Um, and then we sort of all get up, uh, and there's sort of a, not a clear border between what is still private and what is work it's yeah, sort of all that's definitely lockdown life isn't it yeah it, it all mingles up a little bit uh, I truck someone off at daycare and then I go, go to my computer and then most days it's a marathon of zoom teams blue jeans google hangouts uh, you name it, it's Skype for business. So you go through meeting, 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 meeting. Uh, you tend to do other stuff in the middle, um, but it's like, but it's 85% of my day is meetings and decisions. Uh, making a, you know, we invest in this, we do this, we rent this place, we don't rent this place, we hire this guy, we don't hire this guy, these people should do this pitch, this person should do this pitch. Um, there's a drama here, so we, let's make up our mind, call the client, tell them we sorted the, the trouble, uh, you know, it's all fine, relax, 
then there's another fire that you have to extinguish while you're in a different meeting. So it's it's very it's very blurry. And I think you can only or we I have a very strong management and rest of the board team, and we get to we get together enough to think about the future and where we actually want to go and articulate visions and marketing the agency. So during a regular day, it's almost just reacting meetings, decisions, day-to-day -day stuff, because in a regular day, there's almost no time about what are we going to do in the future? What are we, uh, you know, um, a stupid example. A couple of months ago, we discussed how much we need to invest into voice. Okay, do we need voice UX designer? Do we need a specialist with voice and artificial intelligence? How big is voice going to be? Um, thank God, two years ago, we didn't invest it because I think two years ago, everyone was like, oh, voice is the new thing. If, you don't, if you're not into voice, we started looking into hiring a few people. And then we had to compete against like Google and Amazon and Facebook and obviously day one because their budget is a lot bigger and they're a lot yeah. still cooler than some goddamn agency. Uh, but right now I feel like, thank God we didn't hire someone two years ago because the number of voice projects is like tiny, right? Yeah. But still, these are sort of the midterm decisions you have to make and you actually have to find the time for making those um, uh, those decisions. Uh, and then, you know, there's politics, you know, international network stuff that keeps you busy. And then, I don't know, I, I try to uh, end my day around 5.30ish to have dinner with the kids and at least see them for a little bit. And then I go back to work around 8 for two hours, sort of, I don't know actually writing stuff, looking at presentations, emailing and stuff like that. So that is, that's a lockdown day, I guess. So that's a lockdown day. So it goes from roughly six in the morning till about 10 at night with a break for the kids. Correct. And, and, and you know, there's some kind of a, a walk during lunch, maybe, you know, maybe uh, <clears throat> the guy that's responsible is like his um, chief client officer. He and I really like to run, so we try to run twice a week, and it becomes a run-work kind of thing. So, yeah, lockdown is really about everything is munched. It's like a, a muesli of stuff. It's not really – there's no no clear separations any longer. So let's, uh, let's, let's hear about what the typical day would have been like two years ago. Well, two years ago, it would have been uh, – I live in Berlin – so I would jump on a plane Monday morning to go to Frankfurt, uh, then, you know, do meetings, meet clients, you know, board meetings, whatever, in, in Frankfurt till like Wednesday evening. And then I either go to Düsseldorf uh, or go straight back to Berlin and then spend Friday in Berlin. And usually I would have like free client meetings and then Germany is pretty bad uh, because you have to go everywhere you know it's not like the UK where there's London and then I don't know most companies are in London or Essex or I don't, I don't know you don't have to go that far but here it's like 
they're the worst. Like, yeah, not the worst. It's just they're really, really far apart. They're really far apart, and then it's like a two-hour drive or three hours on a train, or so. There's a lot of travel time, uh, you know, uh, happening here, Uh, and then. And I'm sort of happy that maybe a lot of meetings in the future will actually be via video conference. So yes. um, we could save a lot of time traveling, uh, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I still believe it's good to have some kind of chemistry and know the clients and, you know, clients that we had for a very long time. Uh, I don't think video conference are problems, but, some you know, we want some new business and actual pitches. We haven't really met them. Um and as I said, we opened an office in Hamburg in uh, February 1st. And there are about a dozen people now, but they only have a physical office since May 1st. So February, March, April, they didn't have an office. There was no need for an office. They had a mail address uh, and they were, were hiring people and they were doing stuff, and, but there was no, oh, here's your office. So um, obviously, well, that, that's, that is a feature of the current time, isn't it? But uh, like you said, uh, we're, I think we're all hoping that uh, we'll be able to get a lot more out of the video conferencing yeah. software in the future. I mean, we, we've been dreaming about it for years in fiction, haven't we? Like in sci-fi yeah. and everything, it's always Thunderbirds and yeah. you name it, it's always been video calls. But um, and like you say, maybe the, the we're still, in terms of you know our internet connections are just a bit squeezed but it's functional right it's working yes. in the previous in the previous era um pre-pandemic you said there was a lot of travel a lot of time away from the family how is that and would you you know is that something you would address with younger people who are aspiring to be you know in a high performing career the balance between work and family <sighs> I think I think it's definitely better now in order for you know doesn't matter if you're a mother or a father to you see a lot more of your child of your kids but unfortunately also not just so your attention span but you're very short your fuse is very short uh, so you really have to find I think it's better but we're not at the stage yet where you can enjoy the kids um, and you know, be a, a good parent. I think we, we, we collectively we have to improve that and get better at this. Um, uh, but, but it's definitely nicer to see them, you know, feel them and have them around you. Uh, but then you know, you're in the home office and you open your door to get coffee or whatever, and they're there. Right, so you there is not like you will go to the water cooler. You have a little bit of a chat or whatever. It's like, boom! You one second to the other. You have to be able to to switch, um, which on the one hand is nice, on the other hand it's uh, it's 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 challenging. It's certainly challenging, um, and for them, they also don't really see the difference between when you're working and not working. So. Um, uh, you know, all things considered, I think it's more, it's easier now being a parent than pre-pandemic, uh, but we still have to, you know, get get used to this. And uh, I don't know about the situation in the UK, but in Germany, certainly 
the pandemic has been a very tough time and challenging time on everyone, but it has been particularly challenging on people with kids because of the homeschooling, daycares are not happening, extra holidays you have to take to be with them. It, it was the first thing that everybody did here in terms of lockdown is, oh, let's close kindergarten, let's close schools. And parents are like, uh, okay. Uh, and you know, you had all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden you were working from home. You had, you were supposed to do some kind of like eight hour work day. And then, oh, you can do math. You can do bi biology. And it's like, uh, no. Um, yeah. uh, and so, you know, this is, uh, the toll it has taken on parents has been quite large, to be honest. And so, and uh, have you found that from your colleagues at Ogilvy as well? Was it a frequent, a frequent topic of discussion in meetings was also just how everyone's coping with having all the family at home all the time? Yes. I mean, it, I mean, it's, it was tough on, I guess, on every relationship, you know, because pff, you were seeing each other way too much and uh, the kids, uh, mental health is a big, 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 big giant issue. Uh, I actually think that very unfortunate by the time people say, okay, now the pandemic is over, a few people will just fall over like flies. They're like burning on the last, yes. on the last steam. Uh, they're just coping. They're just working. And I think at one point they're going to go, okay, now I can relax and they go boom. Like, I'm not saying they're going to necessarily have burnout. Well, burnouts will be a big issue. Our mental health issues will rise. Uh, they're, they're, I'm, I'm actually kind of scared of the end of the summer mm -hmm. uh, because then, especially when then there's fall again and it's going to get gray and foggy and cold and rainy. And it's a, we're trying to uh, do some, to preempt this, uh, you know, and, and work with certain uh, companies that offer mental health and trainings and coachings. And WPP is actually doing quite a lot, but we're doing something a lot locally as well. So in order to just, you know, I guess soften the blow, there will be a blow, but uh, I guess it will be a question about how much and how hard it will hit everyone. And are you describing the, the simultaneous return to normal working culture and also the onset of the, the fall, which does take its toll on some people? Yeah, exactly. So in your own, um, in your own household, uh, I don't, obviously I don't know anything about your spouse. I don't know if they also have a very high performing career, but um, people rising through the ranks now, uh, particularly people who are roughly my age, I'm 28, um, will be wondering how do you actually manage, uh, how do you negotiate with your partner uh, who takes on which responsibilities when you have family and both have careers? Well, we both have careers. Um, fortunately, hers is not as high-flying as mine is right now. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to be cliche, it's not that we picked it or anything, it just happens and, and we're both happy with the situation uh, but, and we both try to be very, we're both working, we both try to be good parents um, but it is, 
as I said, you know, you in the morning you wake up, uh, the dishwasher was running overnight, somebody has to empty it while the other is already WhatsApp, you know, iPad. Da-da. It's also nothing can wait any longer. You know, <laughs> even pre-pandemic it was bad, but now it's like I, you get a WhatsApp that says, oh, I sent you an email, and then you, oh, bing, bing, I called you because I'm not sure you read my WhatsApp that um, uh, it's, um, you know, not, as I said, nothing can wait. Everything is like, boom, 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 boom. And everybody wants everything. And then it's great to have kids because they don't care in the world. Like right now, you know, we were having this interview and obviously it was awkward, but she's like, I don't know what your problem is. I just want to screen now for five minutes. Uh, yeah. And it, it really keeps you uh, level-headed and it's kind of nice, you know. Um, uh, I remember when uh, when they made me officially CEO and it was like, congratulations. Da, da, da. The kids couldn't care less. They're like, uh, you know, my, my, my dinosaur is broken. Help me. You know, that's... Yeah. <laughs> And that's a great, great thing to have. And um, so, part of the joy, part of the joy of children is that they enable you to see things from their perspective and escape from the world of constant pressure and constant deadlines. Yes, yes, that's something to look forward to. Uh, for well, in my case, anyway, to have it in yeah. one of my own yet. And it's interesting that, to hear this from someone in your, in your position because there's a cliche that goes around amongst people my age who are not maybe as high up the ladder to think that, um, oh, it's all people at the top who just want us to work all the time. But it's that the pressure affects everyone whenever we develop a new technology like video conferencing that enables us to work more efficiently. All it does is increase the headroom and we fill it straight away with more things to do. Yeah. And so um, are there any plans for, uh, are there any plans for the, you know, the Ogilvy group that you look after to try and make sure that there's a good culture and that people uh, beyond what you were saying about the mental health thing, you know, that there's internal policies or uh, some people are describing sort of, I don't know, for a cliche idea, early finishing on Fridays, but you know what I mean? Are there any, are there any plans in place to try and help with resisting burnout? Uh, well, as I said, we have, we have these, um, we have a supplier or a partner uh, who's like, it's a, it's an online platform uh, that all our employees basically can sign up for free if they need help, if they need to coach, if they need to shrink. And it's anonymous. We, we pay for it, but we don't know. We know the number of people that contacted and use it, but that's, that's all we know. That's like one step we're taking. The other step that we're taking is we have done a few guides like how to behave during a pandemic. Uh, for in, we are actually, it's very pragmatic, but we, uh, from June onwards, we're going to block lunch for everyone. So everyone will have, uh, from, I think 1230 to 1.30, one hour lunch break in the calendar that you can't book, right? It's just there. Yes. Uh, uh we also advise a lot of people, um, to use the uh, timer function on emails. So if you write an email in the evening, if you write an email on the weekend, make sure you don't hit send straight away. Put send 
9.10 tomorrow morning or 9.15 tomorrow. So it doesn't really get, you get all these bombardments, uh, but um, there, there are little things that add up that we're, we're trying to do. We also encourage people, and something I try to do a lot is go back to the old telephone. Um, because I think it's a lot easier to have a telephone conversation and looking on this screen all day. Plus, it means you can go for a little stroll, you can walk around, uh, yeah. you know, you're on the phone, it's kind of nice. You have headphones or not, but it's, it, it feels more gentle than sitting in what tends to be small home offices or little rooms in the corner and you look on the screen every day, every day long. Yeah, so it's like there are some advantages to the video conferencing, but there are disadvantages as well. And one of them is, is as you pointed out, you and I are now locked in this position. We can't really move from where we are. Yeah. So There's a, there's a great study by the World Economic Forum that uh, explains, I think, eight or nine reasons why video conferencing is so much more exhausting than regular meetings. And it's scientifically a thing, so it's a real thing, and it's quite interesting. And, and people don't think about it that much. They're like, oh, it's a video conference, so what's the big deal? And then you look at all the things and you're like, okay, now I know why it feels so exhausting. I'd be interested in reading that. Perhaps you could uh, send us a link to that when this is uh, yeah, yeah. concluded. Um, yeah. Which, you know, to be fair, brings me to now because we're about to come to the end of our time slot. And so um, I suppose... Uh, it's only fair to say thanks for giving us as much of your time as, as you have. Obviously, your diary is fairly, fairly full, and um, and 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 hopefully we can be looking to a uh, you know a future before before next year where maybe you know we'll be able to uh, make the uh, be able to travel over to to Frankfurt or to Berlin and be able to say hi. I mean that's not been on the cards yeah. for a long time now. So yeah, way way too long. Um, uh, you know, um, I don't think we have to go back to uh, what is it, Tom Cruise and the firm that flies around, or George yeah. Clooney and up in the air. I think that was horrible too. But a little bit of traveling is not too bad, and you know, going out the occasional dinner is all right. Um, nothing, nothing wrong with that, I guess. Yeah. So, if you, so yeah, if we all find the right balance, you know, maybe this was helpful uh, after all. Yeah. Maybe. Well, Björn, thank you so much. I uh, will let you go and attend to the needs of the family as well as to the needs of Ogilvy. And um, yeah, I uh, hope we can speak again sometime. Thank you very much. Very thank much you. enjoyed it. Have a Take great care. day. Yes. Bye bye.